Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. So good to have you here with us today for episode 354 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, my guest today is a true legend in the speaking industry. I am so thrilled that Lois Kramer has joined me for the show today. Now, no matter where you're at in your speaking journey, I promise that you're going to get so much out of this conversation. Lois dives uh, deep into the concept of relational selling and how to approach the sales component of your speaking business. She also is going to answer questions about identifying a target market and learning to clearly communicate your expertise in a compelling way. Lois has also a lot to say about building credibility by staying in your lane and owning your niche. She explains the importance of understanding the business side of professional speaking. That's something we talk a lot about all the time on the show. She also talks a lot about the ability to sell and the value of organized systems and processes that help you maintain valuable relationships. Tons of an enlightening, actionable pieces here for everyone. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation on how to successfully sell your message with Lois Creamer. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Oh, we got a special treat for you today, my friends. We're going to be chatting with uh, industry legend Lois Kramer. And uh, Lo I mean, you're you're looking around, but you've been in this business for a while. You're legendary around the uh, the the especially the NSA world, the National Speakers Association. And so, uh, it is an honor, delight to hang out with you. Uh, I I told you I apologize it's taking you this long uh, for for to have you on the show, but good to have you here with us today. How's your day going? It's going great and even better now that you showed up and I'm honored to be with you, Grant. Thanks for asking. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. We have both been in the speaking industry for a minute, have, uh, have seen um, uh, a lot of shifts in the industry, especially over the past 18 months or so, but it, it certainly feels more and more like we're coming out of this. And yes. uh, every day you're seeing speakers are like, I'm booking more gigs. And yes. uh, if anything, it feels like the, the, the bent up demand is really starting to uh, unleash. And uh, it's, a, so. it's a really good, really good time to be in the speaking industry. Uh, you know, somebody asked me that very question and I said, there's never been a better time yeah. than right now. Uh, because I think there is uh, pent up demand, especially on the association side. Right. Corporate was was warming up to virtual, uh, but associations, especially national level associations, kept pushing it back and back and back right. and waiting. And so I think there's going to be a big demand, and I think a lot of hotels are going to be happy once they can get employees uh, uh, on the staff. I think that they're going to be happy. A lot of venues are going to be very happy. Yeah, totally agree. We, we tell speakers that all the time. I know you and I might be slightly biased, but there's no better time to build your speaking business than that. Uh, I than agree. Right I totally agree with you. So for people who aren't familiar with it, give us a snapshot of, uh, of who you are and what your, what your business is and how you work with speakers. Well, Grant, I was born in a small suburb of Milwaukee. <laughs> I, um, 
uh, went to college, studied history, which has done me so much good. I, I can't even <laughs> tell you. Um, I was fortunate uh, when I got out of college to be offered a great job at United States Steel Corporation in sales and marketing here in St. Louis. It was a great opportunity for me. And I took it and I enjoyed working there. I learned a ton. They invested a lot of money into me in sales. And I think a lot of it was due to the fact that I was a woman, in all honesty, at the mm. time. The timing was really good. Um, but I learned a lot. I left U.S. Steel when my husband and I adopted a baby. We had been waiting for years. And she, I finally got the call. And um, I said I was making a peanut butter sandwich for myself at noon uh, to eat. And then at dinner, I was making formula for a baby. That's how quick it happened. Wow, that's One crazy. Day. And I stayed home for a number of years. That's what I really wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to be home. And um, then in the early 90s, I got a call from a, a good friend of mine, a college friend of mine, who started an accounting business. She was really in an incubator at that time. And boy, has she been successful. And she said, I gave your name to a professional speaker here in St. Louis who's looking for somebody in sales and marketing. And I remember saying, Grant, I said, oh, I wish you hadn't. I, I don't want to go back to work yet. I, you know, I'm not going to work full time. She said, well, he's going to call you. And so the phone rang about 10 minutes after she, uh, after she told me this. And it was Shep Hyken, uh -huh. who is a terrifically talented speaker. Mm -hmm. And we talked and I said, you know, you want somebody full time. That's not me. Uh, it was really fun talking to him. He's a great guy. Anybody who knows him, uh, I said, you sound like a great guy and I wish you good luck, but it's not me. And so hung up and he called me back and he said, would you have lunch with me? And I thought, well, okay. I thought, you know, it'd be good for me to get out there and maybe interview. So we had lunch and um, we talked about what we both wanted. And he offered me the job working nine to three with some time off when I needed it for my daughter. And mm -hmm. I took the job and I say, I learned this business at the feet of the master. He is very strategic. He's a great businessman. He's a great salesman as well as terrific speaker. And um, when I was staff for Shep, uh, NSA, National Speakers Association, asked me to do some sessions for speaker staff at conventions and national meetings. And I did. And most of the people in the audience were actually professional speakers because very few had sta have right. staff. That's yep, still the yep. situation. And how long and ago was this? I, I'm sorry? And how long ago was this? Like just timeline wise? This was 1993. Okay. And um, I, I just started thinking, I wonder if there would be some kind of a business in this for me. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to take me to lunch ramp. I had lots of lunch offers, you know, pick your brain lunch offers. Yeah. And um, a terrific speaker, very well known, whose name I will not reveal for <laughs> obvious reasons, said, you want to start your own business. Wow. And I thought about it. And I talked to my husband, who was incredibly supportive uh, shockingly so. I said, you know, if you came in and said to me, look, I'm going to quit my job and I want to start a business and gee, I hope it works. I would say, what the hell are you talking about? But he was real supportive. My daughter was 12 at the time. And um, no, she wasn't she was a little younger than that. Um, so I decided I had Shep's blessing. I decided I went off and I was fortunate right away. Um, I got hired by some speakers in St. Louis and some people who had known me and met me 
through doing NSA meetings. Mm -hmm. And I just leveraged the heck out of every relationship I had in the industry and had some big breaks very early. I was incredibly fortunate. Jack Canfield hired me in my second year of my business. His vice president was in the audience at one of my NSA presentations. I had no idea. Um, And I just had some really very lucky breaks and just um, papered the planet with their testimonials. Wow. And just continued to grow. And yeah. so started started Bookmore Business, uh, my consultancy in 1998. And I also did some speaking for corporate sales teams, um, which I really enjoyed, but it, it just got to be too much with Bookmore Business and uh, traveling for that and doing the sales program. So I dropped it. I, call, I had called it Fast Forward Selling, and I dropped that. And uh, now the only speaking I do is to groups of professional speakers. Gotcha. Very cool. So I'm curious, you've worked with with a lot of different speakers over the past several decades of being in the industry. You've seen a lot of speakers who have come to you with the goal and ambition of, I want to be a speaker. And you've been around long enough to see like those who make it and who do really, really well. And those who like, they, they just don't, they just flounder. And maybe like yeah. amazing story, amazing background, amazing drive, amazing talent, uh, but they just don't make it. Like, what do you find is the difference between the speakers that make it and those that don't? Well, you know, I think the people that make it grant almost have a calling to do this because no one would put up with how hard it is starting Mm -hmm. out. I think, you know, you work like heck for every opportunity you get. I always tell speakers who are just starting out, you're going to spend 98% of your time selling and 2% on the platform. And then those numbers should start shifting at some point. And if they don't, it's probably not a good idea to continue down the road because you can be the best speaker in the world, but if you can't sell what you, what you do, no one is ever going to hear you. So um, my best advice is be crystal clear about your expertise, have the ability to communicate it in a compelling way and be good at sales. I think all of those are involved and learn the business side of speaking, not just, presentation skills, which are incredibly important, but you have to understand the business side too. And um, so it's, it's really a mixed bag. A lot of people just think, well, you can make a heck of a lot of money for standing in front of people and talking with no clue how, what, what it took to get up on that platform to have that privilege of being in front of those people. So I never, uh, I never say this is an easy business. That said, I love it. I've been doing it 22 years and it's been very good to me and it's been very good to a lot of people. Um, but it, you know, you work, you really work hard at this business to be yeah. successful. Very true. It's, it's the, the speakers that you look at and you think that they just, you know, get up there and they wing it or it's magically good. Yeah. It just magically works out and uh, that they, they have some secret, you know, recipe or something that they do behind the scenes to get these bookings that you didn't get. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Like it's just, it's, doesn't. it's a really difficult business, it but is. at the same time, it's a very, very rewarding business. So one thing you, you touched on that I know we both spend a lot of time working with students on is, is the business side of speaking. Like you yes. can be great on stage, but if you don't know how to consistently find and book gigs, like you're not going to be in business. And so right. what do you find are some of the bigger challenges that speakers run into? Because a lot of speakers, like we were talking about, they may be amazing on stage, but they, the, it's not that they, they don't want to do the business side, but they don't feel they're good at it or they, uh, cause it's a totally different skill set. being a speaker it, it, and running a speaking right. business are two totally different things. So are the, do you feel like that that's something that speakers can learn that they can get better at, that they can feel more comfortable and confident selling themselves? 
Yes. I mean, I don't do anything about presentation skills or helping people define their expertise or refine their expertise. I'm all about you have to have a speech and the ability to communicate it. When you do come to me and I want to help you monetize it in a number of ways, but you have to learn the business. If, you know, I have talked to many people, Grant, who've said, well, I just want to speak and I'll hire somebody to do everything else. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you have a trust fund, that's a great plan <laughs> and it's a workable plan. Uh, barring that, it's probably not a good plan. And, I, you know, I would say, to be very frank, I would just say, if you don't want to learn it, you're probably not going to make it in this business. Mm. You're going to lose a lot of money trying. And uh, so you've got to be a self-starter. We make our own opportunities every day with our own hustle and how we leverage relationships and put ourselves out there. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to be happy. You're just not going to be happy in this business. I remember early on in my own speaking career, I had a friend tell me that you have to fall in love with the process. Like we want the end result, meaning like we want to stand on stage. Like that's the cool, glamorous, sexy part, but you have to do all like so much work just to get that right. opportunity. Right. And that's the part that like, nobody wants to do. And like, how do I just get a bureau or how do I just get an agent? It's like, it just doesn't work like that. Right. Everybody, you know, everybody says that I just, I'll find somebody to sell me yep. and then I'll just go speak. And, uh, and then, you know, one of the things I hear often, I bet you do too, is I'll give somebody a generous commission to do it. Yep. And I, you know, my reply, first of all, it doesn't work that way. Typically yep. it just doesn't work that way. Um, you have to have somebody who's really good at sales. Mm-hmm. They have to really be intimately familiar with your intellectual property yep. to talk about you in a knowledgeable way. And um, if you pay people on commission and lead times might be four to six months, mm-hmm. why do they want to work for free for four to six months, hoping that something might come down the road and connect? It just never works that way. And I just think that that speaking staff can be a revolving door. And so it takes a lot for a good relationship to work. That said, there are many good. I mean, I love selling. I've always liked selling. Um, I wouldn't be doing what what I do if I didn't like the sales process. And my joy is when I make a sale. Yeah. That to me is the really fun part when we, when we meet somebody's needs and we have, we can look forward to making a change happen in their business. That to me is the really fun part. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I remember when I was speaking full time, I remember like I almost enjoyed booking the gig more than doing the gig. And it sounds weird, but you know, you get that, right? I can't, I get it. I totally get it. Like that was the fun, like the, almost like the, the thrill of the hunt, the chase and like the follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. I yep. got it. Finally, I booked the gig. Um, like that part is, is so fun. So do you feel like that, that, that speakers either like love it or hate it, or can they learn to love it or learn to enjoy that? Because again, that's such a necessary prerequisite in order to be successful. It as a is. Speaker. You absolutely can learn it. And, you know, I'll tell you one of the things that I've said for years, I can make people comfortable selling. I am not a what would it take to put you in this car today? (laughs) Salesperson. (laughs) I'm more like, so after discussing what I do and what you need, do you think it would make sense for us to get together and make this happen? That's the way I approach people. Mm -hmm. And that's what really works in this business, relational selling. And so if you don't like it, get to like it. Yeah. And if you're not willing to do that, you're, you're going to be very, very unhappy. 
But I think that it, you, this can be learned. It is absolutely a learned behavior. And once you have some processes and some systems involved in the way you approach selling and you have a plan to nurture relationships along, it should get easier. And once you're, you familiarize yourself, for example, with a target market, I'm real big into targeting uh, specific markets for, for customers instead of saying, for speakers, instead of saying, uh, I always say, Grant, inevitably, when I'm speaking at a chapter or a national event, somebody will come up to me and they'll say, Lois, I have this great program on customer service. It's new. I'm so excited about it. And I'll say, where do you think that would make sense? And they'll say, anyone who wants a real culture of service would love this. And I say, well, listen, go back and call everybody and see if they're interested. (laughs) And I'm not trying to be cruel, but really that's your approach. If if you don't have a target, everybody is a pretty big database. So I, um, I say, if you can target that and refine your information, you can get paid more. Uh, I think you create a momentum in your business. I think the sales process becomes easier because you have a client list of people that look like the person that you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are easier ways to approach the speaking business. And that's one of my big beliefs. So whenever it comes to targeting, that is, uh, I would 100% echo you and agree with you. It's such a difficult thing for speakers to narrow down because yes. we feel like that the 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 more people we can speak to, the more topics we can talk about. Right. Who do you speak to? I speak to people. My message is for humans. It's for everybody. What do I speak about? What do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. And so I feel like the the broader we are, the more opportunities we will get. And you're exactly right that it's it's very counterintuitive that it's the opposite. So totally. how do you like how do you help a speaker to narrow it down? to say, yeah, you may do customer service, but it needs to be on one specific type of customer service or for one specific type of audience. So yeah. how do you help them narrow that down when they the default is to spread it wide as possible? Well, I, you know, you're absolutely right. Everybody thinks, you know, the broader my appeal, the more interest there will be. Mm-hmm. And it is the total opposite. As you mm-hmm. just said, it's totally counterintuitive. Um, here's the thing. I tell my clients this, what you need to do is define a target based upon background or work experience or speaking experience who you feel you resonate with. And then for during your efforts to outbound market, your own business, keep highly targeted. You need a parameter to work with. You need some kind of a plan. Anybody who finds you on the web or through a course or through a referral Uh, or through a blog post, any other way, regardless of target. If they're a fit, you're comfortable doing it, you're free and they have money, go. This just means that I'm going to target my efforts in the finite amount of time I have to market myself. Gotcha. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps that help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. 
Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. Well, uh, for especially for speakers who are early in their career, who are just getting started, uh, who are just kind of like I'm throwing a bunch of things against the wall because speaking is very much a momentum business. The the more you speak, yes. the more you speak, the more you book gigs, the easier it is to continue booking gigs. But what do you say to those speakers early on who are going like I'm just trying to get my foot in the door? If someone will just get me an at bat, give me an opportunity. What do you say to those speakers who are trying to get started? When I started doing my sales programs, I spoke to anybody who would meet anywhere in St. Louis, where I live. And what I sought to do, I didn't care about money at that time. Don't get me wrong. I love money. (laughs) But at that point, what I was about was gathering social proof, Mm -hmm. getting testimonials that said she can do what she says she can do. And then papering the planet with those all over social media, websites, and Letting people know these people said I did a good job. The interesting thing, people assume you were paid for those events, even Mm. if you waived your fee. I never say speak for free. I get a searing pain in the back of my eyes when I say free. (laughs) So I say be willing to waive your fee uh, for value. And when I started out, value to me was the experience of being in front of business people Mm -hmm. And getting social proof, getting testimonials and um, gathering those and then having the courage to start asking for money. And then it's it's just growing upon growing upon growing. And if you do have a target in the beginning, I had no target. It was anybody who met and lunch was payment enough lunch and a good testimonial. I was very, very happy. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that when you start out, you you want to get as much experience as you can. I'm a big believer in Toastmasters. I don't know about you, but I recommend it all the time. I I call it the off-Broadway of speaking. There are lots of our <laughs> colleagues who That's are great. involved yeah. in Toastmasters. You know, it's a great place to learn presentation skills, mm-hmm. to learn how to build a story around a point. And I think to get good feedback from people who are used to hearing uh, people speak. And so anywhere you can get experience at first, you want to get that experience and then go out in your own community. And I I used to look in my business journal, the St. Louis business journal, every city has one. And every Friday they had a calendar of events, which was every professional, typically association or group that was meeting for lunch, a business lunch. And I would call them and I would just say, look, I have a program on sales. And I would love to do it for your group. I would be willing to waive my fee. And really, this was before I was ever paid a penny. I'd be willing to waive my fee if you would give me a testimonial if you're happy with what I do. And I got some great opportunities. I met some terrific people early on and uh, then spoke to the lions, the elks, you know, all I called it the animal circuit. Get on the animal circuit when you're starting, Grant. But that's what you want. You want the experience and to gather social proof along the way so that when you are asking for money, you have some ammunition that you can shoot at people. And you can say, look, this I appeared here, here and here um, and take it from there. 
at what point should you start start charging? And then how do you like how do you give advice for speakers when it comes to fees? Because when people ask like how much should I charge, it's like it depends. Like there's a ton of variables. It does. It's much more of an art than a science. But but how do you think about speaking fees and how much speakers should charge and at what point they should raise their fees? What's your philosophy on speaking fees? You know, I have a clubhouse uh, show I do every Monday night for two hours, and we were just talking about this last night. Um. I think you should start asking for a fee when people are starting to give you testimonials that social proof saying we absolutely loved your program. And I remember doing every, uh, every group around St. Louis and when people would come up after me, like chambers of commerce, some people would approach me afterwards and say, I'd like to talk to you about coming into my company. Mm -hmm. That's when I knew, okay, this does have value. This has value. So then you have to ask yourself what, what do I want going out? First of all, I want the experience. At a certain point, we need to make money. And so set back when I was doing it, $500 was my thing. Yeah. $500. Now I say maybe $1,500 in mm-hmm. $2,021. Maybe go out for $1,500, $2,000. If you have the expertise and the experience, the ability to communicate. Um, and then really to me, raising fees is a function of how busy are you? What's your calendar look like? And how much pushback do you get? How often are you, do you feel yourself walking into a negotiation when you mention your fees? Um, These are all uh, good, I think, barometers for, for saying maybe it's time to raise my fee. Nobody's balking when I say it. People are booking me without much pushback raise your fee. And I, and I say, don't raise it $200 or $500, raise it. And, um, you know, I also have felt this for especially the last several years, Grant. I tell my clients, if at any time you feel that you're undervalued in the marketplace, you're undervaluing yourself in the marketplace, you're probably, it's probably time to raise your fee. Mm. Because you have to walk joyfully into a program and joyfully out of a program. Right. You know, the, I always say this isn't a hostage situation. You're doing this because you want to do it. So make sure that you, that you are stating your worth. You're comfortable saying that. And you should start growing. And, you know, the narrower you get in focus, the more money you can ask. Why do you think that is though? Because again, that's, that's counterintuitive to what any speaker would think. And uh, they, they, they think that like, ah, but the more things I do, the more things that I can offer. If I can, you know, if I, if I do keynotes and workshops and consulting and coaching and books and pot and da, 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 da. Uh, but at some point it all starts to like water down. So like, how do you help a speaker to understand like, no, no, just like stay yeah. in your lane. Do So you and I are good examples of like, we just, we help speakers do one specific thing and we've been yes. doing it for a long time and we've, we've both had some level of success with it and like, just keep doing that. And there's all these other things that we could do, but That's just right. stay in this one lane and help speakers yeah. do this one thing. And we've both had great careers doing that. So like, wh- wh- like how, how do we help Go speakers figure, to get that? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I think, you know, here's the thing. What I know and by the way, I rarely will say that. What I know, what I know is that companies will pay a premium for people who have a depth of expertise in a specific area. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when I was speaking on sales, I spoke a lot in the financial services industry. 
And every time a bank, a credit union, an accounting firm would hire me, I was setting myself up for the next bank, credit union, or accounting firm to hire me or to want to hire me. And every time I worked for a bank, a credit union, or accounting firm, my question, one of my exit questions, if I always believed in a follow-up thank you call where I asked for a testimonial and wanted to make sure you were happy, what associations do you belong to? And then asking them to be my advocate. Could you walk my name in to be considered to speak at your association to kind of stand out from the crowd? And then once people see that there's a theme uh, to your clients, there are some some threads that uh, that go through continuity. They want to have you. You start being considered an expert in your field. And that's what uh, you know, that's really what you want to seek out. Um, And you're selling, your outbound efforts become much easier. If you're Bank of America and I say, look, I've worked for Compass Bank and Citibank and um, these mortgage houses, mortgage lenders, mutual fund companies, they are going to think she knows what she's talking about in this industry. And instead of just saying, look, I know sales and I can help no matter what you sell, where you are, what market, I'll give you some great tips. I mean, come on. It's, it's not being a generalist. I tell my clients, you should be whittling down and getting more narrow with experience. But as I said, anybody who approaches you, if you're a fit and you're open and they've got your fee, have at it. I just think it makes your job easier, the speaker's job easier, if there is kind of a continuity of effort when you're doing outbound. Yep. Makes total sense. So let's assume for a speaker that they, they're clear on who they speak to, what problem that they solve. Let's assume that they have great marketing assets, their website, their demo, demo video, everything looks good. Um, but having those things in place is, is, is not like a set it and forget it. Like, okay, now I just sit back and I wait yeah. for the phone to ring. It's, it's like, you have to be intentional. You have to be very outbound. So what do you recommend for speakers who are going like, okay, I have these things in place. I've got a good foundation. I'm getting a little momentum, but like, how do I book gigs? Like what, what do you find yeah. is working right now for well, speakers to book gigs? You know, it's great to have a super website and to have nice profiles that look great on social media, but if nobody's looking for them yeah. or settling on them or engaging you on these platforms, you've got a problem. Yeah. And so you have to do more than just, you have to have all of these assets in order to set yourself up for success. But I, you know, I think you need to go after what you want. I think speakers need to be very proactive. So for example, when I started, um, I used a very sophisticated way when I looked at financial services. I hope this isn't over your head, Fran, but I used Google <laughs> and I, I would literally put in Google um, or I think at that time it was Ask Jeeves. Uh-huh. Classic. <laughs> I, I would put in uh, top 25 financial fir- uh, service firms, Midwest, Southeast, you know, regionally. Yeah, yeah. And I would go after those people, you know, thinking they probably have money. I don't know whether they have historically used someone like me, uh, but there are ways you can find that out too, uh, just by spending a little time and doing some homework. You have to have, you know, you have to spend some time doing some market intelligence. You want to know, for example, is my expertise marketable? Have people historically paid for what I want to do? But once you know that, it's, I think, being very directive in what you want to do. So I I went out and I wanted to work for 
all those people on those top 25 lists that I made. And that was the started, way I approached started reaching out to them or I, what? I totally reached out to them and I would send an email or I would send an article. Um, I would connect on LinkedIn. I would uh, comment on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm not as happy with LinkedIn groups right now. Uh, but back then, LinkedIn groups were, were pretty good. And I would get involved in conversations in LinkedIn groups. Um, and after I made a comment and, and a couple of people maybe liked it or engaged me, I would call. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, I, I enjoyed your, your article on LinkedIn on uh, selling to medium-sized businesses. And I thought I'd reach out and connect. Um, and this is what I do. And I, um, one of the things that I do with my clients, I have from day one, actually one of the reasons I started my business, Grant, is because my sense was that most speakers really sucked when they were asked, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. They, they would say, well, I speak on leadership. I speak on sales. I speak on time management. And to me, that's a big missed opportunity when you can position yourself. So I work with clients on a positioning statement. So I would use mine when I was looking for a sales, uh, for a sales program. And I would uh, reach out by email if I could, or by Zoom. And I would say, my name is Lois Kramer. I work with organizations like yours who want to fast forward their selling skills. So they'll be more successful at what they do. I'm reaching out to see if one of my programs may ever fit into your plans. Hmm. And then I would pick up the phone. And uh, I think that too many people are too reticent to do that. Everybody wants to qualify by social media or email and not pick up a phone. I picked up the phone all the time. Yep. And I still do. And I, you know, I always say you can't qualify somebody unless you talk to them. Yep. Yep. And ascertain fit and budget and all of those things that we need to know. But I think that you have to be really proactive. I think you have to have a plan. It can be very sophisticated like mine, Google, <laughs> or or more, you know, more, more social media based. Right. But whatever you do, have a plan and work the plan. And I think you have to do it every day. Yeah. Every day you're not traveling. You have to be disciplined enough uh, that at the end of every day, you can say, what have I done to drive my business forward? And mm-hmm. that's what I did when I first started. I, I, every day I asked myself that at the end of the day. Some days I was not happy. Uh, other days I was. But I knew early on that if anything was going to happen, it wasn't just going to start raining money on me, yeah. that yeah. I had to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And just having that, again, that sense of ownership that uh, I have to be the one to show up. I have yes. to be the one that, that does this and is committed to it. And I always believe like nobody can sell me better than me. Yeah. And so when I'm talking to a potential client, like I want to be the one talking to them. And like you said, pick up the phone and call them like business is done over the phone. They're going to make a decision over the phone, not over email. I don't know that I've ever, yeah. ever been booked for a gig without actually talking to the person. So the sooner I, you I can talk to them, I wouldn't the better. want to. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Uh, okay. We got just a couple of minutes. I want to shift gears for a second. We talked about this a little bit at the, at the beginning. Uh, we are coming out of the pandemic more and more. What Look into the magic crystal ball. What are you seeing in the, on the horizon for the, the speaking industry? Trends, shifts, things that speakers need to be aware of post-pandemic. Well, I think we're heading into uh, markets opening up a great economy and a lot of growth for what we do in the mm-hmm. professional development business. 
you know, that said, right now, you and I are talking in June. It's, I say it's like the Wild West Mm -hmm. (laughs) out there right now, because people are, uh, I I think hybrid is going to be a part of the way we do business. I think the virtual presentations have been incredibly powerful. I think many of us learned because we had to, many of us learned because we wanted to. Um, I've spoken all over the world in the last year from right. this, you know, in front of this camera that I'm talking to you today with. Right. Um, I think that we have to be ready to appeal to people uh, and be able to engage people in person and virtually and make sure those virtual people don't feel like second-class citizens uh, attending and watching watch us as a spectator sport kind of thing. Right. And that's, you know, it's not an easy job. Uh, speaking is not an easy job. But I think we're going hybrid, and I think that there are lots of things now that speakers have to consider that they probably didn't have to worry about as much uh, before. But there has been this trend, even before the pandemic grant, where we would book a speech, we'd go in, we're excited, and we see this big camera crew there, and no one had ever mentioned filming Mm -hmm. before we arrived. I always had, my speakers had a, a videotape agreement on their phone, and somebody had to sign it before they agreed to it. So now this needs to be part of your pre-program work preparation. Mm -hmm. Are you going to live stream this? And how will this be used? What kind of parameters are you going to insist on or agree to? Those are two separate things. How that's going to be used after the event. Should you be paid extra for that, depending upon the use? But you know, we're in the intellectual property business. That's the business I say we're in. Yeah. And we have to be diligent about protecting our intellectual property as much as we can. So I think that we're entering into uh, a hybrid. I was listening to a panel discussion, Grant, uh, several months ago. The head of Microsoft Teams was talking. And he said that their user conferences, they have user conferences every spring out in California. Thousands of people, you know, descend on these little Sunnyvale towns and stay at hotels three hours away from the town. And he said in 2019, we had 4,200 people attend our user conference. And we had to shift to go all virtual last year. And what a great advertisement for Microsoft Teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. They had tens of thousands of people attend virtually. So they have to ask themselves, why would we ever not have a virtual uh, offer virtual to attendees? We had people from all over the world, every continent who would have never traveled maybe to Sunnyvale, California. So I think that this is, especially on the association level and the really big corporate events, they want to make money. They want attendees any way they can get them. Mm-hmm. And so our job is going to be meeting that need and making sure we're effectively and professionally meeting that need. Very true. Very well said. Lois, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, uh, where can we go? Uh, just go to bookmorebusiness.com. Uh, that's my website. And uh, you can find out anything and everything you want to know, more than you want to know, Grant. Grant, thank you. It's been so much fun talking to you. Appreciate you. 
Well, listen, I would encourage everyone to go follow you on social, go pick up your books because you really do. Brought, you, you, there's a lot of people, I think, uh, in, in the speaking industry, but just kind of at large who uh, give kind of this hypothetical theory advice, but you give very, very practical tangible, tactical wisdom and like just bite-sized things. So I know we're in several uh, um, Facebook groups together and, and I've seen several of your posts and I'm just like, oh, this is good practical advice. Thank you. And so Thank you. Uh, highly recommend people follow you. You're definitely one of the, the titans in the industry. So we, we really appreciate you taking a couple minutes to, to chat with well, us. Well, I'm honored. Appreciate it. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.